What show is this? Um, I think it is 113. Mandy's been pretty good about keeping it up to date. Yeah, it's about time she pulled her weight around here, right? Would you like to join a conversation with the Freelancer Show panelists and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. Sign up at freelancershow.com slash forum. Welcome to the Freelancer Show, episode 113. Today we have a bit of a light panel with Reuven out, and uh, Chuck has some stuff going on at home. So it is Eric Davis. Hey. And myself, Curtis McHale. Today we're going to talk about learning. Um, a little bit more specifically, even how our learning has changed from when we first started at business and uh, at our, running our business and, and what we're doing now. So, Eric, when you did or when you started your business, where did you really start? What do you mean? Like uh, as far as like education levels and what I was doing or? Yeah, what was the stuff you were reading when you first started? When I first started, I I already had a business degree at that point. So I kind of had you know the general idea of how to run a business College teaches you how to run like huge corporate businesses or Fortune 500s. They don't teach you how to start a business. Like I took an entrepreneurship class, which was pretty much a waste. Um, but I knew like the basics of business. And so when I got started, I, a lot of the stuff I really had to dig into was how to be an entrepreneur, start that kind of business. And most of it was marketing wise, like marketing tactics, not even strategy, just like scrambling to get, you know, new customers, new clients. And so for, a long time at the beginning, like that's what I was, that's all my education was focusing on. I was trying to get better at that. My technical skills in Rails and then PHP kind of were at a level where I didn't need to actually improve those so much. Like I was already above a lot of my competition skill wise of that, but it was all marketing, all getting customers. And what's the difference between the strategy and tactics that you learned? A strategy is almost always higher level. A strategy is. So like, for example, you're in Los Angeles and you want to go to New York. Well, your, your strategy is you're going to travel from Los Angeles to New York. The tactics are the actual how you're going to get there. So are you going to drive? Are you going to fly there? Are you going to take a train? And it's also tactics will mostly change. Like if you take a plane and it gets rerouted to Florida for some reason, your strategy stays the same in that you still want to get to New York, but your tactics of taking a plane right into New York has to change. And so you have to adapt. And so the strategy of like you, that's like kind of like your larger business focus that won't change very much over time. Um, the tactics are going to, you have to adapt and you stay within the strategy to a certain extent. And you might try out like a whole bunch of different things, see what works, see what gets you to your end goal better. But you know, yeah, it's just, it's the different layers of thinking like your big end goal, what you're doing versus the actual day to day, taking little steps to it. For me, I actually have a psychology degree. So my learning very much started at uh, how do I even do this level. I was pretty, I guess, lucky when I started and hooked up with shows like the Bo Egg World podcast when it was going all the time. So I got to see, like, I got pointed in the right direction for accessibility uh, standards. I have never built a site and tables in my entire life outside of, like, actual tabular data. Wow. Uh-huh. I know, even, well, I built HTML emails. That's the closest I've got, and they're terrible, and I don't do them anymore. I've barely done any, really. But that's mainly because I got pointed in the right spot. Um, at that time by Boag World. So you, you started learning the technical aspects in addition to the business aspects? Yeah, I've always wanted to run a business. Like any, I you know, when I was installing decks, I did some decks on the side on my own. So I had a, I guess a basic business point, but I like, I didn't know how to build a site at all. 
my dad was a computer guy. He worked at IBM for, you know, 30 years. So there was technical know-how a bit around from having computers around very, very early, but I had never coded a site at all. I don't even remember why I decided I wanted to learn that. But I remember, I think the first editor I used was, was it NVU was one? Kind of like a GUI and coding yeah. editor. That was like the first thing I do and I did, and I literally just started by writing HTML every day during class, actually. And then not like deleting the work when I was done class. So I had to write it again the next day and get faster and learn more. And that's what I did, writing CSS and that. So that's where my learning really started was at a purely functional level. Like, how do you even do this? Certainly not at a business level in any, in any fashion. Yeah. And thinking back, like, I think I was, I think I had stuff on GeoCities back when that was the thing. Oh, and, actually, I did have one of those when I was in like my teens. Yeah. yeah and like, I'm trying to remember, I did the, they had like, not a, not WYSIWYG because it didn't look anything like what it ended up, but it, I used like their editor or whatever it was. And then I think I ended up using like Notepad or something. And then, you know, basically all of, all of my programming with the exception of like one or two classes I took in college as side things, I've been self-taught. So I, you know, started in GeoCities, figured out HTML stuff, just I don't even remember what I was had a site about. It was probably cats or something stupid. And then, you know, self-taught myself PHP and actually all that stuff back when PHP Nuke was like the thing you used to build websites. And I mean, this it's funny. Like I used to host my sites on a server that sat under my desk in my office that was slash a living room while I was a college student. And like I had a cluster of old computers I put together to actually run my website because I couldn't, they, none of them were fast enough to actually do anything. So I had like 150 megahertz here, 200 megahertz here and all that added up. But I remember doing PHP Nuke then. And like, I remember using WordPress, I think it's 1.5. Like, I don't even think WordPress had the concept of a page back then. And I used it for a while. Um, and all of my stuff has just been like, oh, let's, let's try this software and then let's, let's hack around on it, see what it does and, you know, try to do that stuff. So all of my education, all of my learning as far as programming has been self-taught. And then much of my entrepreneurship has been self-taught. Like I said, the, this college business classes really don't teach you how to start and run a small business. Or at least when I was there, it was pretty much all large business, all large, like you have multi-million dollar marketing budget type stuff. I would say all of my business thoughts came from even my dad who did, after he worked at IBM for a while. He was running his own business, and so I got to talk about that. And he had a lot of corporate training at IBM as well, like disk profiles and team work and, and then auditing of departments for efficiency. So I had a head start in that aspect, maybe. But I don't even remember how I stumbled into WordPress. It actually sounds like you used it before I did. I think it had pages by the time I was using it. But I have to really dig around and figure out what version. I think it was 2 point something. And so I guess like the big thing for me, right after... I guess before I got out of college, like I was into programming, I decided like, okay, I want to, you know, build web applications a bit more because they were kind of on the rise. And I think like Paul Graham was writing a lot more. I think that was before Y Combinator because I think I missed the first Y Combinator by about a year and that like I was out of college for about a year. But, uh, I took, I, I liked Python. Like I was using a little bit. I was talking with Curtis. I've actually ported, uh, Cabal scripts to Python because I had nothing better to do in my classes. And I was looking at Python, but the, just the web stuff just wasn't there. And right around that time, Rails just came out like a few months earlier. And so I actually got on that bandwagon right away and, you know, haven't left. Like it's been, Ruby's been like my favorite programming language. And 
because I got on so early, I've been using it long enough that, you know, I have like a, you know, the expert level or whatever experience using it. I've seen a lot of things. And so since then, at least on the technical side, a lot of my knowledge has just been adding to like what's changed, what's new or like, okay, you know, Redis, NoSQL stuff has improved. So that's just added to the existing knowledge I've had. I haven't actually had to go back and actually start from scratch. And that also kind of leaks out into JavaScript and other areas. So like, I'll be doing a Rails project and I'll have to do a bit of JavaScript. Well, because of that, I improve my JavaScript skills. So I don't actually have to go and start from scratch with JavaScript. That's how I've been progressing, at least on the technical side of my learning, is just continuously adding to my body of knowledge and using what I've learned in Ruby to get better at JavaScript. Or I've talked about this story before where I ported a lot of Ruby and Rails concepts into PHP and PHP frameworks just because I, I wanted to feel more productive. And so it's all been incremental improvement, at least on that side. Yeah, from a technical aspect, most of, I guess actually from any aspect, all of my learning has been pain points or efficiency points, right? When I had heard of Grunt a bunch, and then I started being like, ah, oh, I've got to set up CodeKit again and make sure that everyone can set this up, and this is a pain in the butt. And then I dove into Grunt one afternoon and learned Grunt, and now I use it all the time. Like, yeah, for almost every project, there's some Grunt in there at some points to, you know, compile my CSS or my JavaScript or to pull all the to-do notes out of my plugin and out of the project in progress so that I can see, make sure I haven't left one around for something I thought I should do. That's how it's all gone as I've progressed, just looking at my pain points. Even, say, now I do most of my, more of my learning on the business side. So all of the books I'm reading, 90% of the books I'm reading are business focused. And that's all like a pain point. I'm not, say, I'm not expert at marketing. I'm not good at at positioning myself how I want to be. And so I'm reading about how to do those things, how to refine my client process. So are you mostly using books to kind of drive your education or are you using other sources or mediums? The absolute highest value content that I consume is in books and in podcasts. When I look at the information for the time I've spent, those are the two best. There's a lot of good blog posts out there, but I find a lot of them, they talk about something good, but they don't give you a really good execution strategy, right? There are certainly some out there that are awesome and totally knock it out of the park, but by and large the best value content I get each week is out of a book or out of a podcast. Hmm. Yeah, for me, with the technical stuff, like actually all my learning I do, I I don't know if this is actually the proper term, but I call it just-in-time learning. Like I try not to put time into learning something until I need it or unless I really, really want to. And so like for the technical side, I'll avoid learning like NoSQL or whatever until a client needs it or until like I see like I need to learn at least the basics to kind of have a working knowledge and know, you know, if it's a good thing or bad thing. And for that stuff, I found blog posts work pretty good, mostly just to get an overview of everything. But I'll agree, like for business things or for things where you need like, like kind of what I talked about earlier, where you need a bigger picture, or, like a strategy view of things, blog posts just don't get into the depth you need. They don't kind of cover it enough. And for me, it's books are the absolute top for me. Uh, podcasts were good for kind of a, a little bit like an introduction to things or like talking about news, but I've always been a reader as kind of how I get all my information. Oh yeah. Myself and my wife are both readers extensively. We have often tried to see who can read the most books in a month. And I think we like, by the time we were getting each to 10, we decided that it was just a good month of reading. I think for technical topics, the blog posts are more useful to me because they're usually like, here is exactly how you do it. And I usually at this point dive in by reading the technical documentation on, say, on Grunt's site and then look around at what other people have written about it to kind of buff up my knowledge or to, oh, there's an example and this is why they're doing it and now I can improve my own workflow. 
yeah, for technical blog posts are more useful to me. Um, I don't, I very rarely read technical books. I've got references around, but that's about it. I very rarely even finish them. I just flip through the pages I need to, and I'm done with them. Yeah. And I've actually, I've been doing, I guess for the past year, I've been really cleaning out a lot of my paperback books and, um, I've been holding on to reference books, but I'm finding more and more like even really good reference books. I don't reference them. I, I go to, on the internet first. And by the time I actually decide, Oh, I probably should just pull up that book off the shelf. I've already found my answer. And so between, I think between blog posts and then if like for programming stuff like API docs or, you know, maybe if you're using like Adobe products, like Adobe's official help or whatever, like, that seems to be the easiest way for me to learn. And since I do a lot of stuff in open source, I actually will download a lot of the source code and actually just read through the code itself because it's that's actually how it works versus the disconnect between how the code runs and how actually someone thinks it runs and how they write about it. Um, yeah, and that's something you can only do once you have know the right questions to even ask, right? I know when I first started, like I didn't even know the right questions to ask. I cried at my computer one night because I didn't even know where to go. Like how to even start to frame this problem I was having. Now that I can, I like I do default to. I use an application called Dash um, that downloads a whole bunch of documentation for me. So like I have on my computer, local all the time, all the WordPress documentation, the SaaS documentation, Bourbon, Vim, all it'll document all your man pages on your computer. Even I use that regularly to search through API docs and then code as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like in, in with Rails, a lot of times when you have like an actual exception, it tells you like the line number, of the code had an error in and because of a lot of the kind of changes in how it works is you almost always have copies of that code locally where you can get to it. So I actually jump right into the code. Like it's, I used to be afraid, like I used to look at rails or any other technical system is like, I don't, I don't want to touch it. I just, I want it to work. If it doesn't work, I'm going to complain about it. And now it's like, it's like my first response is to jump into it and see what's going on. Because I think as you kind of get better at stuff, you learn that Rails or Grunt or whatever it is you're using is not perfect. There's going to be problems in it. And, you know, don't, don't blame it first, but, you know, there's a good chance that you might actually have found something no one else has found. And well, especially with open source, you can actually go in and hope to fix it or at least hope to shine light on the problem and help someone else fix it. And I, I think that's kind of important to your learning because it kind of, shows you that, you know, you can make a hypothesis, like, you know, there's a problem in this piece of software, let's look through it, diagnose, like, okay, here's where the problem could be, change it, and see if it actually worked or not worked. And when it works, it really helps you, like, look at it, like, you know, you've dug through all this stuff, and now you've learned, okay, well, my hypothesizing's better, I can see how the whole software works as a whole. And so at least with technical stuff, like, that's really nice. It's it's a, a fast feedback cycle of problem, change, it's fixed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of the time when I'm using the documentation, it's for like in WordPress PHP, like what are the parameters on this again? I just double check it or I just read through it, how, how they recommend best to use it, which may or may not be accurate. Sometimes I read how they said to use it and I was like, oh, wait, that's totally broken. And I forgot to go fix it in the documentation, which I tried to do as well because it's all on a wiki for WordPress stuff. For SAS, it's or bourbon more often. It's stuff like I'm not even aware of all the mix-ins you can use in that yet. So it's you're just bring, bringing up my general functional knowledge. And one thing, like, it's kind of a hard thing. I I think I've written about this a bit, but, you know, with technical stuff, it's easy because you get that fast feedback, you know, you can slowly expose yourself to it. But with business and, you know, any kind of business topics or especially for me, marketing, like, it's a lot harder to learn because feedback, either you don't get it or it doesn't come as fast. Like, you know, for instance, yeah, you might run your site traffic, right? Yeah, I mean, it, well, not just that, but anything. I mean, you might... Uh, you know, maybe you're going to try to, maybe you're working on your sales skills and you try to like 
pitch a project to a client a certain way, well, you don't have enough volume to really understand like the client said no because of the wording you chose or they said no because they don't have the money. It's it's really hit or miss and it's very not quantitative, but it's qualitative in that you can't really put hard numbers on a lot of business stuff. And I think that tripped me up a lot with marketing. That's why like I started to learn marketing when I got started and I'm still learning parts of it is that it's not like coding where you, you can do it and actually see the result and you know, it's correct. Like marketing, you can do it and you might get some results, but you never know if you could have got better results or if that's the best you can do or, you know, if you tweak certain things, it's going to be twice as good. And so that's kind of a, a hard thing. And that's, that's why, you know, when you're learning business, you're almost always continuously learning. Yeah, that's certainly where I feel like I'm lacking most right now is baking. And it's again because of testing everything you said. That's the thing that I focus on now. You know, one thing that I don't remember how long ago I got into it, but one area, uh, like I said, I was, I was going through all the marketing stuff, trying to find what worked with, for me, what, what I enjoyed and I happened upon it's the full on term is direct response marketing, but it's also called direct marketing. It came out of like kind of the mail order catalogs of like, you know, they'd mail out uh, a catalog of stuff. People would order things or nowadays it's more of like, like a lot of people call it the junk mail where you'd met someone would mail a letter and you'd respond to it and you'd, you know, get a discount or you'd get a free product or whatever. A lot of that has actually moved online very easily and uh, the thing I, I got into that and I really enjoyed that because a lot of that is very numbers based. It's very analytical. It's very, it has feedback mechanisms built in. You know, if you're going to send out a thousand different um, letters to people in your local area and you get only one return, you know, that's less than 1%. You screwed something up. So the next thousand you send, maybe you change the letter, maybe you change the envelope, maybe you follow up with a phone call, whatever, but you have that feedback loop of, okay, this next one I'm going to do better by changing one or two factors. And, you know, being a programmer, being very analytical, that's been something good for me. And that's actually helped me because I've learned what works for the actual clients I talk to. Like, I know, you know, doing this sort of action is actually going to give me a better response. And it might not be that way for everyone, but for for me and my specific market, it's worked. Another good thing about that is as I'm learning, I'm finding like areas like I either don't know or areas that I know I need to improve my learning. So maybe a year ago, maybe a little less, I realized like I, I had the process down, I had the analytics down, but I was, my copywriting was bad. Like I just, I wasn't writing compelling copy. And so I actually spent time and dedicated time to learning copywriting and took that new learning and integrated it into all the stuff I've been doing with the hopes of actually making the whole thing better. And so it's kind of given me a focus to see like, you know, where are my weaknesses? What do I want to improve? And that's helped me kind of build a learning plan. So what did you use to learn copywriting or how did you find those resources? So a lot of of the original direct response marketing is built around copywriting. Like that was like the biggest tool they had. So that got some resources from that. Um, The thing is a lot of that, well, some of that doesn't translate well to online. And some of it is very... Not sleazy, but it comes across as very hard selly. And I don't like that. And I, I found a lot of my, uh, my clients don't like that style either. And it just, it was just hard to write. Like I couldn't write that salesmanship I've never been, you know, strong on the salesmanship side. And so I kind of, I've latched onto people who taught copywriting or kind of wrote a lot of sales material, but they wrote it in more of a helpful, more of a, you know, we're here to help. Here's, here's some help we can give you. If you need more, you know, we'll give you more information if you buy this product or whatever. And the big one that I had is uh, Naomi Dumford from Itty Biz. And 
she has stuff on and off the market, so you can't get all of her stuff, but she had a copywriting book that I basically devoured. And then um, we had her on a while, a while ago, uh, Joanna from Copy Hackers. She writes, you know, really good copy that's also like, I want to help you. I'm going to give you as much information as I can. Um, if you need kind of a higher level service or custom stuff, you know, that's, that's where you would actually pay for her services or pay to, you know, your, your clients would pay for, to work with you. And so I think between those two and then a couple other ones I found just, you know, that I've gotten good recommendations on that's kind of built up and like leveled up my copywriting skills to be from a complete absolute novice to being decently good at it. So how do you decide normally what, like you talked about just in time learning, but how do you decide what is the thing that you need at this exact second? Like any given day, I could learn how to run Vagrant a little better developer wise, or I could learn to do marketing a little better, or I could, you know, do whatever. How do you reckon those all the things that you could be learning? I mean, it's hard. It's a lot of it is the first thing is like in my experience pain with something, like I said, with the copywriting, like I, I could see like I was doing a whole bunch of activity in certain areas of my business. And I could see that the cop, my copy that I was writing was the weak point. I could see that it was letting me down and it was making it. So even if I was doing stellar jobs on my email marketing, stellar jobs on making a product, the copywriting actually made those mediocre results. And so having a pain is kind of the first way I look at it. And that's like, okay, that's something I need to focus on. Um, another aspect is like, what am I interested in? Cause I know I bounce around between ideas and topics. And so if I've, um, like recently we were talking kind of before the show, I've been looking at a piece of software called Docker and I've, I've always worked with like virtual machines and all that stuff. Like I ran Zen back when it was like alpha or beta software. Like I, I know how that works and I've ran it pretty much all the time, like different virtual stuff. And so Docker is kind of a slant on it. And it's actually a slant on a version that I used to use a long time ago. And so I'm like, oh, I have an interest in that. I don't have a need for it because I use Vagrant or VirtualBox for things already. But Docker's a little bit different, and I think I'm going to learn some stuff from it, and it might end up being kind of one of the main tools I use. So I'm actually scheduled time this week to kind of sit down and play with it, figure out how it works. And so kind of the idea of like, you know, you got the pain, and then you got what are you interested in. And then like the third one, like like I said earlier, is just the just-in-time. Like if I knew a client was coming up that needed help with, um, we'll say the MailChimp API. Well, I'd probably dig in this week and kind of play around with the MailChimp API a little bit, read the docs, kind of do my learning that way. And that's the just-in-time aspect. I mean, what about you? Like, how, how do you pick what to learn? Part of it is like what a client project brings up, right? I needed to dig into Vagrant a little deeper for a client project, so I did that. And I usually, I guess, to split up my time, I learn more development during the day and read more about how to run an awesome business at night. And I listen to like nothing. This is probably the most developer show that I listen to. Uh, everything else is business focused. So and there's just time, right? And I got the stuff from Copy Hackers and I read a bit of it, but I didn't have time. I guess it wasn't a big enough pain point for me that that's the one that I decided was the most beneficial to me at that exact moment. Right. And that's the problem I have is, like you said, I read a lot. And so I actually, I'll read things that I don't need, but it's like, it's entertaining. I might pick up a few things, but I don't actually retain a lot of the knowledge. And I kind of built up my own habits and systems to really keep track of, okay, well, if I do need that knowledge later, how do I get to it without rereading the, you know, the four or five books on the topic? But yeah, if you don't have like an actual need or you can't put what you're learning into play and actually kind of experience it and go through it, it, it makes it a lot harder and it feels like information kind of goes, you know, in one ear out the other. So do you have like a plan of like, 
you know, over this next year or even like, you know, a quarter or a month of like what you want to learn, where you're, like where you're going, that sort of thing? Yeah. So this year I did two quarters so far. The first one I was trying to learn more about launching products, which I admittedly didn't do wonderfully on. I could have done more for sure. This quarter I'm working on better client metrics. So like just analyzing what are my best clients and how do I continue to serve them better and continue to have them coming back because they're already my best clients, right? So those are the things that I'm focusing on and trying to tailor my reading towards that. So actually right now I'm reading um, Michael Port's book. I always forget if it's Get Clients Now or Book Yourself Solid because I mix them up. But whichever one was by Michael Port, I think it's Book Yourself Solid. I'm going back through that with my master yeah. group to really, again, hone down my client offerings, which are the clients I love, and really get that tight. Yeah, you, know, you said you like kind of had quarters for it. Do you actually kind of actively go and say, like, I'm going to read this book, I'm going to read this book, I'm going to read, or, you know, I'm going to listen to this podcast. Do you plan it out like that? Or do you just say like, I'm going to take these three months and kind of keep my eyes open, whatever I find that's about client metrics, I'm going to pick up and start reading? Well, if you looked at my Amazon wish list, you'd see like probably like 150 entries in there. And so what I'll often do is I'll kind of dig back through and buy four or five of them, right? And say these are the ones that I kind of plan on reading. Because I often will go through four books a month. So yeah, I'll plan on reading these ones and you know, sometimes I'll start one and, and get partway through it and be like, this is a terrible book. I did that with uh, one of the Basecamp 37 Signals books, Remote. Remote. I got like five pages in and said, this is terrible. Maybe 20 pages in. But then I read, reread Rework because that's what we did with the Mastermind Group. And it was I thought it was still a good gut check book on how you run your business. So it depends. I don't certainly do not feel bound to reading them. And then the podcasts I have um, are pretty consistent. I try, I try add one or two and try one or two, but then I... I'm not sure. So I just take them back out. If they're not useful to me, just cut them. I don't care. So would you say like the podcasts are kind of like supplementing your learning? Like they're like giving you kind of a broad spectrum of different topics. Like, you know, like one might talk about client analytics, but it might talk about say copywriting and, you know, you're doing the client analytics. So you pay attention. And then, you know, later on, if you decide to pick up copywriting, you're like, oh, I kind of know the basics from this podcast already. Yeah. And so, like I say, I said, I focus on client metrics, but like when we talked with Kirk, I was on that show and then I listened to it again. And I thought this was the best thing I've listened to all week. When we talked about value, it was by far. And I listened to it a second time. My wife listened to it. It was like, that was a really good episode. And so, you know, when I have stuff like that surface, I just put the time into listening to that because it is sometimes the most valuable content to listen to that week is nothing to do with what I was technically focusing on, but it's still good to think of it in your overall business strategy, right? How am I pricing? that in that example specifically right and say for me i i go a different way like i focus i i other than like fiction because i use fiction as like kind of the decompression of like going through and learning all everything if i'm reading about copywriting like that's all that i'm reading about like i'll listen to copywriting podcasts i'll read copywriting books i'll find a bunch of people on twitter whatever that are you know copywriters or that are in that area and you know read read the stuff they're posting like that's kind of the only thing I focus on. And it's kind of a, a full-on immersion. And what I like to do is, you know, I, I'll go and basically get samples of any kind of Kindle book people recommend to me that's like I have a mild interest in because the samples are free. And then I'll read the sample, decide if the writing's good because, you know, some people just have horrible writing. Just it's it's impossible to get through it. And like you, like I have this big wish list. I have I actually have 194 items on my Kindle list right now. And I have other other wish lists that have like paperback books and stuff like that. But when it's like, okay, I'm learning copywriting this week, I'll go and buy all of the Kindle books about copywriting and then I'll sit down for the month or whatever. And basically that's all that I'm reading as far as uh, nonfiction wise. 
And I, I found like that, that intense focus and like all the notes I take really helps me understand it and kind of, you, you get to a point where you don't know anything. So everything you read's new, but then after a while, like you're reading the book and like, yeah, everyone's already said everything that's in this book. And you're kind of, you're full of all the information and that's when you can kind of stop learning or move on to the next topic. So, I mean, we get, we got a bunch of advice here. I guess I'm going to ask you for someone who's, you know, maybe they're getting started freelancing and, you know, there's just a ton of information they have to learn, or maybe there's like a certain topic, like, you know, we've, I mentioned copywriting quite a bit. Um, you mentioned like client metrics, like maybe there's a specific topic that someone has and they want to kind of get into it. How would you actually kind of recommend that they get started in it? And find the best book on the subject. I tell new freelancers that there's was it four or five books they should read. They should read The Price is Right by Chris Lemma. It's short pricing, gives you all the good pricing theory, and then you'll read it again later when you really can dig into it. Um, book yourself solid and get clients now. And then if you have time to read the, the strategy and tactics of pricing as a monolithic tome on pricing. I think those put you off on the right foot when you're started freelancing. And when I'm looking at a new topic, I just try to find the best resources that are out there. Sometimes even a Udemy course. So for masterminds, I read a bunch about that over Christmas as a, so I could improve my running one. I bought a couple books and the best value content for that ended up being a Udemy course by Dan Miller. Um, that was the best option. I found it had the best content in it. And then for applying it, like with the mastermind stuff, I just started doing parts of it and seeing how it worked and, and kind of tweaking my approach to how I was running the mastermind. And I have found it very good um, as an organizer to in many ways, take more control of the group a bit than I did originally. Okay. I mean, that's, that's similar to how I do it. I, I recommend getting, you know, it, this assuming reading is kind of the best way you learn. And if you don't know, reading's a really inexpensive way to try it out, but you know, get the top four or five books on the topic. Like if you can hear recommendations from people, that's, that's the best way to start. But um, I've actually found if you can find like an Amazon category for the topic you want to learn, just start there just go off the list and just pick the, the top four or five books that actually sound reasonably close because some some books get miscategorized. Read them, and then, like I said, you'll you'll hit a point where you feel like people are just repeating the same things you already heard. And kind of once you hit that point, I feel like you you've done enough reading that it's time to actually do action. And um, when you're reading, take notes of things, take notes of important stuff. If you can, if something pops in your head of like, oh, this is a great like you were talking about pricing stuff. Like if there's a great pricing tactic, like take a note on that to try out. And if you can try it out like as soon as possible versus like waiting till you read all the books. But if you, if you feel like you need to wait, you know, just get to where you're comfortable, try it out and try it in like a way where you feel you can watch it and get the feedback on it to see if it worked. And also where you're a bit protected in that, you know, it's not going to com completely kill your business and completely, you know, put you in the poorhouse. you know, do it where it's a very minor test. And if it goes wrong, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and just watch that feedback cycle, you know, try, try one thing you learn, try a second thing you learn, keep doing that. And I mean, that's basically how I learn and how I actually start applying that learning to my business. And then I, I'm not a good video learner. Um, and I've learned only a little off podcasts, but if that's kind of where you learn, I would do it the same way, like find good podcasts or find good, um, videos, especially if, if you can find like instructional DVDs or instructional stuff on YouTube or, um, conference presentations, that sort of thing. Like, you know, latch on to like the top five or six or yeah, because they might be shorter, maybe even get 10 or 20 of them and dive deep into that topic that you're looking at until you get to the point where, you know, it feels like people are repeating themselves or they're saying the same things, you know, and just, you know, figure out what works best for you learning wise. All right. 
Why don't we move into the picks now? Eric, what do you have for us this week? So my pick is, it's on uh, Rachel Andrews' blog. It's called Playing a Mind Game on Distance Running and Product Launches. You know, if you, if you don't know, I actually, I'm kind of a runner. I've done 5Ks, but I'm working my way up to do a half marathon. I'm training for it this year. I don't know if I actually run one, but we'll see. So, you know, I'm like obviously watching like kind of running stuff, running advice, like that's something I'm learning. And Rachel Andrew also runs a product business. And so it's like, oh, look, that's two of my interests there. But she actually kind of compared the two and kind of broke it down of like, you know, how running works, how launching a product works and how it's, she runs marathons, but how it's like, it's a marathon, not a sprint to launch a product. And so it's a, it's a good blog post. Uh, her, she has a really good blog and she actually has a really good newsletter. I think it goes out every week that has some stories from her and then kind of like industry news for like the product solopreneur stuff. So it's, I recommend subscribing to it. And I'm going to recommend Dash today. That's the documentation app that I mentioned earlier. It's got, I checked while we were talking, it's got docs for Rails as well uh, and lots of different flavors of it. Um, and really as documentation, I think there's probably like 80 or 90 sources in there. And then any site can actually, if they just mark it up properly, can easily become that. And it auto updates. So every time there's a new WordPress release, it knows to double check the version number and downloads all the docs again for me. So it keeps itself up to date all the time. Anytime you open it, it starts uploading or downloading all the newest stuff for you. And that is, yeah, it's awesome. It saved me a ton of time and integrates with say Vim or with your code editor of choice. So you can search and pop over to that directly quite easily. Yeah, that looks pretty cool. I've, I've used a bunch of different things. Like Ruby has like some built in stuff where it builds like HTML versions of your documentation. And so people have taken that and extended it to make like bundles of Ruby and Rails and common stuff like that. But this looks nice because you can, you know, if you work in a lot of different environments or you do, you know, PHP and JavaScript and, you know, whatever bash or whatever, like this can all do it in one place. Yep. It's easy to even like, so from Vim, if I just type colon capital D dash, whatever I'm searching and then type WordPress, it'll search center it only on the WordPress docs and does tabs and a bunch of other stuff. So it's, it's really nice. It's really slick. I found it, I guess a month, two months ago and have used it all the time. I barely ever open the web pages for these things uh, unless something seems off and I'm double checking to make sure it's up to date. Nope. That's it for episode 113. Thanks for listening. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the blue box group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.